Welcome to the ParkCast series, episode 60, Infants in Child Welfare, Maltreatment Occurrence and Associated Factors. The ParkCast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archive. This ParkCast reviews the literature on the maltreatment and child welfare involvement of infants, including occurrence estimates and factors associated with infant maltreatment. Introduction. Infants are considered a unique and vulnerable population in the field of child welfare. Although all children are vulnerable and require adults to protect them from harm, infants, and specifically children under the age of one year, are especially vulnerable. Whereas older children spend time outside the home with individuals who may be able to observe potential markers of maltreatment and often have the verbal abilities to report their maltreatment to others, Infants tend to spend a large portion of their time with their primary caregivers and are entirely dependent on the people around them. Infants rely on their caregivers for nurturance, care, and protection, as their young age prevents them from caring for or protecting themselves from harm or adversity such as physical abuse, neglect, or being exposed to intimate partner violence. Infants are also especially vulnerable for the reason that early adversities encountered during this developmental period can have devastating and lasting impacts including physical injury, developmental delays, and or death. Thus, the role of child welfare workers is crucial in detecting maltreatment among families with infants in order to prevent further maltreatment and developmental consequences associated with early adversities. This podcast discusses the occurrence estimates of infant maltreatment in addition to the primary types of maltreatment that occur most often with infants under the age of one. Factors associated with maltreatment of infants and young children will also be discussed. Research questions. Two research questions were formulated to guide this research review. These questions structure how studies are grouped together according to their research methodologies. One, how common is maltreatment among infants? Two, what child and caregiver factors are associated with infant maltreatment? Thinking critically. Before proceeding, consider the following questions. What are your reasons for listening to this research review? What are you hoping to learn? What do you already know about infants and their vulnerabilities to maltreatment? What are your expectations in terms of prevalence and maltreatment? Take a moment to consider your emotional reactions to the idea of maltreatment of infants. Be aware that this can be an emotionally triggering topic for many people and care should be taken when listening to this podcast. How common is maltreatment among infants? FAQs. How common is maltreatment among infants compared to other age groups? What are the most prevalent types of maltreatment within this population? Methods matter. This is an occurrence question, which looks at how often a condition or phenomenon occurs. Longitudinal and cross-sectional research designs can answer these questions. Longitudinal studies determine patterns by following people over time, whereas cross-sectional studies, like surveys, provide a snapshot at one point in time. Compared to other age groups, infants are most likely to receive child welfare services due to the vulnerability of their age. In the 2008 cycle of the Canadian Incident Study of Reported Child Abuse and Neglect, CIS 2008, it was revealed that 26% of all maltreatment investigations in Canada involved young children between the ages of 0 and 3. Children under the age of 1 were most frequently reported for maltreatment concerns 
at a rate of 51.81 out of every 1,000 children. Additionally, the rate of maltreatment reports decreased with age. Similar findings can be made across most provincial and territorial reports of child abuse and neglect. For example, in Ontario, investigations for infants under the age of 1 was 58.44 for every 1,000 children. This was the highest of all age categories in the province. One important consideration when analyzing the data from the Canadian Incident Study and other Canadian Provincial and Territorial Incident Studies is that they rely on worker reports. These reports are based on the current information available to the workers about their cases at the time of the study's data collection. Maltreatment of infants may be misreported for a variety of reasons. In addition, these incident studies, as with all occurrence studies, are only able to speak to infants whose maltreatment was identified or reported. The infants whose maltreatment was not identified by child welfare authorities cannot be captured in the occurrence rates. Methods matter. Prevalence versus incidence. Both are terms of occurrence, but they are not interchangeable. Prevalence looks at the proportion of a population affected by a phenomenon, basically how common something is within a population. Incidence, however, is the proportion of new cases within a given time period, or in other words, the rate of that thing occurring over time. For example, 9 in every 1,000 of the Canadian population experience fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. That's a prevalence indicator. Compared to 51.81 for every 1,000 investigations open during the CIS 2008 involved a child under the age of 1, which is an incidence report. Common types of maltreatment experienced by infants. Common types of infant maltreatment include neglect, exposure to violence, physical abuse, and substance exposure. The unique characteristics associated with each maltreatment type in relation to infants will be discussed below. Neglect. Neglect is considered one of the most common types of maltreatment-related investigations for infants. For instance, neglect was the primary concern in one of every five infant investigations in the secondary analysis of the Ontario Incident Study, OIS 2003, by Filippelli and colleagues. And in Canada, 31% of all infant maltreatment-related investigations involved neglect. It has been noted that neglect is usually more chronic in duration compared to other forms of maltreatment and can result in serious short- and long-term developmental concerns in comparison to other maltreatment types. Developmental concerns can include cognitive deficits, language delays, impulsivity, and poor school performance. Exposure to violence Exposure to intimate partner violence is the most common form of maltreatment and was found to be 34% of substantiated investigations in Canada in 2008. Using the data from the Ontario Incident Study of 2013, Filippelli and colleagues found that the exposure to intimate partner violence by children under the age of 1 comprised 31% of child protection cases. Trends were similar for children aged 1 to 3 years at 31% and decreased with each age group. Physical abuse. Although physical abuse can entail maltreatment that is less severe, abuse of head trauma, commonly referred to as shaken baby syndrome, and homicide are the most severe results of physical abuse for infants under the age of 1. In the United States, abuse of head trauma, or AHT, is considered the leading cause of fatal head injuries in children younger than 2 years old. AHT tends to peak at approximately 1 to 2 months of age and can be caused by shaking alone, shaking with impact, or blunt impact alone. The presenting features of abuse of head trauma include severe head injury, death, unsuspected finding on images 
or assessment, seizures, or other neurologic concerns. According to the North Carolina population-based study, 53% of the serious or fatal traumatic brain injury cases admitted to the pediatric intensive care unit were classified as abusive head trauma. However, the results of this study do not encompass the presumably many families with young children who have suffered an abusive head trauma who did not access pediatric services. In addition, abusive head trauma tends to go undetected in many hospital cases due to screening limitations and investigations that result in conclusions of accidental head trauma, as opposed to purposeful head trauma. Therefore, the true incidence of AHT is unclear. Infants are at the highest risk of of fatality as a result of maltreatment due to their young age and physical vulnerability. Based on the Statistics Canada Homicide Survey, there were 27 homicides per every 1 million infants under the age of 1 compared to 9 homicides for children aged 1 to 3. It was also found that 98% of homicides were committed by caregivers. Substance Exposure Substance exposure during pregnancy has an extensive history in the child maltreatment literature and is considered a public health concern that has both short and long-term effects for infants and young children. Prenatal substance exposure has been associated with low birth weight, infant mortality, and future developmental problems for the child. Across the world, studies have suggested that parental substance abuse is a concern in approximately 11 to 40% of investigated maltreatment reports. However, many of these studies are outdated. In a recent study by Prindle and colleagues, linked administrative data from the California Department of Public Health, hospital discharge records, and child protective services records were analyzed to generate a prevalence of prenatal substance exposure at birth. It was found that prenatal substance exposure was diagnosed in 1.45% of live births, and 61.2% of those diagnosed were reported to CPS before age 1 and approximately 29.9% were placed into foster care. Unfortunately, Canadian data could not be located, therefore, while this data is valuable, it may not be generalizable within the Canadian context. In recent years, the use of opioids has become an epidemic among many communities in North America, while having severe impacts on infants prenatally exposed to these substances. Abstinence syndrome occurs when the transmission of drugs is stopped by cutting the umbilical cord, causing the infant to experience withdrawal symptoms. This occurs in 55 to 94% of infants exposed to opioids in utero and can result in symptoms such as trembling, crying, tight muscle tone, seizures, yawning, stuffy nose, and sneezing. In an analysis of data from the National Child Abuse and Neglect Data System, NCANS, in the United States, Lynch and colleagues found that all cases reported to CPS 9.19% involved abstinence syndrome in 2014, and this increased from 4.72% in 2004. Additionally, about 9 for every 1,000 babies in Canada, according to the Public Health Agency of Canada, are exposed to alcohol in utero and go on to experience fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. FASD can result in a range of health, physical, developmental, intellectual, and social challenges later in life. Thinking critically, which, if any, of these rates of maltreatment surprised you? Can you identify other forms of maltreatment that may not fit under the categories listed above? Question 2. What child and caregiver factors are associated with infant maltreatment? FAQs. What factors differentiate maltreated infants from other infants? Which factors are associated with child welfare worker decisions when infant maltreated is suspected? 
Methods matter. This is an association question. It examines the relationships between two or more factors. Correlational studies, RCTs, and systematic reviews are best suited to answer association-type questions. In this case, factors are examined as correlations and thus do not indicate direct causes of infant maltreatment. Many studies have identified various infant and caregiver factors associated with maltreatment. In this section, factors that differentiate maltreated infants from those that are not maltreated will be discussed. In addition to the factors associated with child welfare worker decisions when infant maltreatment is suspected. Child, caregiver, and community factors. Child characteristics. The literature discusses several child characteristics that may be associated with the increased likelihood of maltreatment occurring in this age group. These characteristics include, but are not limited to, prematurity, low birth weight, infant temperament such as frequent crying or overreactivity, and drug exposure or other medical problems. The above child factors often indicate infants who require more intensive care and attunement to needs from caregivers. This may increase stress levels for these families and as a result may alter the likelihood of maltreatment. Additionally, these characteristics are correlational in nature and other factors may play a role in the maltreatment of infants. In Canada, characteristics such as the child's sex and ethnicity have not been found to be significant predictors of maltreatment among this population. Caregiver Characteristics Of the caregiver or family factors associated with infant maltreatment, the most common are caregivers who are victims of intimate partner violence, caregivers who have few social supports, maternal substance use, caregivers with mental health challenges, caregivers under the age of 21, financial strain, multiple children in the home, and race and ethnicity. In Canada, the most frequently reported caregiver functioning concerns of families suspected of infant maltreatment, based on the data from this, the Canadian Incident Study of 2003, were few social supports, substance abuse, and mental health issues. This indicates a need for caregivers to have access to substance use or mental health services for their own well-being as well as the well-being of their children, to prevent future instances of maltreatment. Community characteristics. Although community factors such as living in high-poverty neighborhoods, lack of formal and informal childcare services, and low rates of preschool enrollment have been discussed in the literature as being associated with maltreatment in young children, there is not enough rigorous research available to determine whether these relationships exist. While there are many factors that contribute to the likelihood of maltreatment among children under the age of three, many experience multiple risk factors at once. Families who present with more than one risk factor have an increased rates of maltreatment occurrence. For example, in a population-based study by Wu and colleagues, it was found that infants who experienced four out of the five of the studied risk factors, were, which were the mother smoked during pregnancy, they had two or more siblings, they were a Medicaid beneficiary, they were unmarried, and the baby was low birth weight, had a seven times higher rate of maltreatment than the average population. It is important to note that the factors associated with maltreatment most involve families with low socioeconomic status. These families tend to experience a variety of challenges that act as barriers in their everyday lives, and tend to have fewer resources for coping with the challenges of childrearing, therefore increasing stress and the possibility of maltreatment. Thinking critically. Consider the child, caregiver, and community factors presented above. How might these risk factors or circumstances exasperate the challenges that caregivers face in raising children? How does consideration of these factors affect how you view infant maltreatment and serve their families?
Child welfare worker decision-making factors. Infants tend to be the recipients of the most intensive responses by child welfare workers. Compared to other age groups, cases involving infants are most likely to be substantiated for maltreatment and be recipients of ongoing child welfare services, be placed in out-of-home care, and to be re-reported to child welfare services following an initial report. In recent Canadian studies, the most common caregiver functioning concerns that contributed to decisions such as substantiation or transfer to ongoing services were substance abuse, few social supports, child substance exposure, exposure to intimate partner violence, physical harm, mental health concerns, and caregivers who are under the age of 21. For example, in a secondary analysis of Ontario data from the OIS 2013, Filippelli and colleagues found that investigations involving infants whose primary caregiver was identified as having a substance abuse issue were more likely to be transferred to ongoing services versus those who were not. Similar results were found for caregivers with few social supports and caregiver mental health concerns. However, infant functioning concerns have consistently been found to be reported less frequently by workers in comparison to other age groups. Possible explanations for this may be that child functioning concerns tend to be harder to detect in infants compared to older children, or functioning concerns have yet to manifest in the child. Therefore, referrals to ongoing services most common for families with infants tend to focus largely on the caregivers and also include parent support groups, in-home family or parent counseling, and or addiction counseling. When considering placement, caregiver vulnerabilities tend to drive worker decisions to place infants in out-of-home care. One study by Tonmere and colleagues examined decision-making factors in favor of -of out-of-home placement following maltreatment-related investigations involving infants, utilizing Canadian data from the CIS 2003. It was found that the likelihood of -of out-of-home placement increased by 164% when a caregiver risk factor was reported or the investigation involved neglect or abandonment. Factors that most often resulted in non-kinship placements were caregivers' mental health concerns or child substance exposure. Among infants, multiple reports to child welfare services are common following an initial report. For example, in a study by Putnam Hornstein and colleagues, it was found that following the initial report, 81.9% of infants remained in the home after the initial investigation, and 60.7% were re-reported within five years. One possible explanation for high re-reports is the lack of additional services in the community to prevent future cases of maltreatment. Therefore, members of the community are reliant on CPS for services. Thinking critically. What other reasons may contribute to the high rate of re-reports as found by Putnam Hornstein and colleagues for children who are involved in child welfare services as infants? Practice considerations. Infants identified to child welfare services with maltreatment-related concerns are vulnerable to protect to future emotional, cognitive, and physical developmental concerns, and there is a critical need to act quickly. Various child and caregiver factors may increase the probability of maltreatment for this age group, including substance exposure, prematurity, caregiver substance abuse, and being a victim of intimate partner violence. When presented with a case where infant maltreatment is suspected or confirmed, the following recommendations have been developed to guide workers. Conduct careful assessments. When faced with a suspected case of maltreatment involving infants, workers should take extra care in their assessment procedures in order to prevent the likelihood of infants being re-reported to child welfare services in the future. In addition to recommending helpful services that minimize the effects of caregiver risk factors associated with maltreatment. Involve internal and external resources. 
If infant maltreatment is suspected, it is important that caseworkers connect with healthcare professionals such as pediatricians, public health nurses, and early child development specialists to evaluate the developmental status and condition of the maltreated infant. These professionals can screen the infant for health, developmental, and socio-emotional problems that may arise in the trauma associated from maltreatment. Recognize and promote resiliency. Having a positive attachment relationship increases the likelihood that an infant is capable of regulating during times of stress, thus building their capacity to be resilient when facing adversity. The following list describes ways in which workers can promote resiliency among families with infants to prevent future instances of maltreatment. Promote positive physical contact between the child and the caregiver, such as hugs, kisses, and rocking to enhance infant-caregiver attachment relationships and promote comfort, nurturance, and protection for the child. Help the caregivers obtain treatment for any mental health or addiction issues. Ensure that the family has safe and affordable housing, stable employment, and childcare. Promote protective factors like positive social relationships already present within the family. Ensure that every child has at least one stable and caring relationship in their life. Conclusion This podcast reviewed the available literature on the occurrence and common types of infant maltreatment and factors associated with infant maltreatment and the role of child welfare in these cases. Infants are considered overrepresented in the Canadian child welfare context. Common types of infant maltreatment include physical abuse, neglect, exposure to intimate partner violence, and substance exposure. Factors associated with infant maltreatment include both child and family factors such as low birth weight, drug exposure in utero, caregivers who are victims of intimate partner violence, caregivers who are isolated or have few social supports, caregivers and specifically mothers with substance use, and caregivers with mental health issues. Workers supporting families with infants should carefully assess families who have been reported to child welfare services, involve internal and external resources if needed, and recognize and promote resiliency among families. Early detection and intervention of maltreatment is critical in preventing long-term developmental effects. The second part of this podcast series will examine immediate and long-term impacts of infant maltreatment and can be found on the Park Canada website. You have been listening to the podcast series, Episode 60, Infants in Child Welfare, Maltreatment Occurrence and Associated Factors. The podcast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, a Canadian membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information on this episode's topic or other episodes in the podcast series, please visit www.parkcanada.org.